0: listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church podcast stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge thanks for tuning in
1: well this is week nine of our series um, my part God's part their part and um, we're continuing to talk what it means to serve and engage both within the church and outside the church. And last week, we were really talking about the call for us to either engage in serving for the first time, or if we've been serving for a long period, long season, to invite other people into that service with us. Paul Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, straining towards this upward call in Christ, which is a call to spiritual maturity. Paul says, I have not attained it. I'm not fully mature, not fully. Sometimes it's, the term is uh, perfect. It's uh, translated in English as perfect, but it's really, it, perfection is not, not necessarily what Paul's describing. It's, it's fully functional. Fully functionally living out your design and through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. That is the goal that we have as believers in Christ. And and since serving is such a big part of Christ's heart, he came as a servant, not to be served, but to serve. And since that's his heart, the path to maturity happens through serving, And so sometimes we do that in a very formalized way. There are things that we have scheduled as a church, both internal to the organization and external to us as a church body. But then other times there's just these pop-up experiences, pop-up moments that where God asks us to serve. Now I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of living fully within your design. If we're going to talk about our design, there's a number of ways to kind of dive into what does that look like. There's Meyer-Briggs and Enneagram, and I've done Myers briggs and did that so long ago, I don't remember what I am, what that means for me. Uh, must have been really important to me, huh? Um, the Enneagram, I, I've never taken that. Logan has. He says he's a 45. <laughs> if you add up all the numbers... You get forty-five. He's he is he he's not perfect. No, <laughs> he is not perfect. He's so scatterbrained that he just lands. No, <laughs> he lands in all these different areas, and he's like, I'm a forty-five. You put, I'm a nine. I'm a six. I'm a two. I'm a forty-five. Um, probably has nothing to do with the last president, but um, <laughs> for us, uh, for both. Logan and I, we had this assessment through real life. For me, it was in Cortland. For him, it was in Moscow. Called Pathmakers, and, and Pathmakers is not associated with Cortland. We just both had this experience of of taking this assessment, and and this assessment has two halves. The first half addresses your interests, your abilities, and your values. And so there's dozens and dozens and dozens of questions. It takes several hours just to document, you know, what are your interests? For me, motivational leadership, counseling, teaching, supervision, these are things that interest me. Abilities, follow-through, initiating, supervising, problem-solving, technical writing, these are things that that I found that uh, my experiences speak to what my abilities are. And then then values, my, some of my values were being influential, supervising, pioneering, developing potential, and feedback. These were things that I value in my relationships. And so this, this was the first half of the, se- the assessment. The second half gets into three areas, main areas of your motivational role, your impact style, and your temperament. Now, your motivational role speaks to if we're going to do a project. Let's say we're going to have a project where we're going, hey, we need a car. And we're going to design this car from the ground up. Well, if you are someone who's creative, you may be the person that just throws out 50,000 ideas. And you don't care which idea gets used. You just love thinking about different options, and so you throw out 50,000 options up on the board, you don't even care which one sticks. You're going to drive the person down at the other end of the spectrum, the maintainer, crazy because he's like, 50,000 ideas, how can we even work with that? Um, but fortunately, there's some people in between. So the, so the creative person, again, just tons of ideas, the creative developer starts taking some of those ideas and starts figuring out how to make that happen. The developer takes that Further, and by the time you get to the refiner, now you're starting to build schematics and and those kinds of things. The maintainer just cares about when do I get to grab a wrench and, and actually turn a wrench on this bad boy that's what they do so that's that's your motivated role and and for me you know it's not like i'm Most of us aren't 100% of any of these. I mean, it's rare to be 100% in any of these areas. For me, I was 20% developer, 50% refiner, and 30% maximizer. So I ended up on that end of the spectrum. So in our staff meetings, when we're talking about logos and designs and all that kind of stuff, I have one good idea a year. (laughs) I take that back. I have one idea and it's not even good. And that's just my design. It's just who I am. Our Impact style. Um, are you a controller? Are you a persuader? Are you a cooperator? Or are you an analyst? For me, I am 10 out of 10 controller. That's fun as a child of, of mine, right? Um, my wife, she is roughly 50% cooperator and 50% analyst, which works great in her current job because she is amazing in customer service. As a cooperator, she wants to cooperate with that customer. She wants to help them out. And as an analyst, she wants to find the problem. She wants to find the problem and create a solution for that problem. So from a customer service standpoint, her design works amazing in that area. I'd be like, too bad for you. (laughs) Not really. Um, But I just wouldn't work the same as my wife does in that particular area. I would be coming up with systems that would solve the problem for the person and uh, wouldn't necessarily deal with the person at all. Our temperament. Are you more social or are you internal? I am 8 out of 10 social. And so in, in college... When I lived in a dorm and there was thousands of people to interact with, how much homework did I get done? Not very much. Not very much. Are you a realist or a futurist? I'm split down the middle here. Sometimes I'm thinking about right now, but sometimes I'm thinking about two years down the road. Are you a thinker or a feeler? I'm nine out of ten thinker. I don't care about your feelings, (laughs) but just a tad. (laughs) When it comes to problem solving, I'm like, if Rob needs to go, Rob needs to get out of the way. Like, I'd write myself out of a job because I'm a 9 out of 10 thinker. Like, it's just like, get Rob, move him, get him off of first base, put someone else on first base. He sucks, that's me. Um, And then, are you an adapter or are you a planner? For me, heavy planner. I love plans. I want to write out plans. Logan, where are you on that scale? I'm for an adapter planner? Yeah. I'm an eight adapter. Eight adapter. I'm a seven planner. <laughs> Does that ever co- cause conflict between Logan and myself? Never. <laughs> um, you know, our design differences are there on purpose. And actually, I've really grown to appreciate... Logan's design differences versus mine. Like when we're in adaptation mode, and Logan's like, we need to adapt. I'm like, oh, you're probably right, because you'd recognize that more than I would. I'm a planner. I'm going to write out plans that are are rock solid. But sometimes you have to adapt. And so I've learned to adjust to uh, allow for and even celebrate the differences that we have. Couple things when it comes to our design. One, almost universally, there's something about our design that we despise. We either think we're too much of this or not enough of that, right? And we despise something about our design, and that gets in the way of being used by God. Because why why would you ever put into play something that you despise? Right? You kind of want to... I don't like that part about me, so I'm going to just kind of hide it. It's not sufficient. It's not good enough. It doesn't meet the grade. Or does it? Maybe... Maybe we have to learn how to live within our design well. And maybe we have to learn how to trust that when God looks at you and says, you are very good, you are crazy good, that he means it. So there's that part of our design. The other thing that I think about is sometimes we're like, oh, that's not my design, so I guess I'm I'm not the person to go share some compassion. I'm not, you know, for me I I'm a thinker, not a feeler. So maybe I don't have to share my feelings or or engage in your feelings or engage in your emotions. And I just don't think that's true. I think your design informs how you will serve, not where you will serve. The fact that I'm a planner does not mean that God will not put me into a situation where I'm not allowed to plan because he's put me entire seasons of not planning. Ugh. (laughs) Why does he do that? Maybe to grow my interdependence upon him. Because just because that's not my design does not mean that he hasn't called me to that moment. But when it comes to serving God, I think we focus too much on our own ability, our own design. And we forget about the, God's Spirit and how He comes in and changes things. Apostle Paul says this now, these are the varieties of gifts. I'm sorry, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service. But the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So anytime the Holy Spirit comes in, it's for the common good. It's not, it's not to elevate me. It's to elevate the people around me. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To, do, to another, prophecy. To another, ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so the Holy Spirit shows up in moments in each of us. The Holy Spirit shows up in moments in each of us. Now, sometimes those moments are short. Rob gets a spirit of wisdom. It's only going to be a little bit, guys. Hang on. <laughs> when it happens, celebrate it. Celebrate the Holy Spirit. Um, Sometimes the moments are short, and sometimes they're long moments, seasons, but it 's the holy spirit 's work. We see someone that responds with this amazing faith, and we go, "I could never do that." well The Holy Spirit came into that person and gave them something they did not possess by themselves. And we forget to celebrate the God who showed up in that moment to give that person this amazing faith. And when we forget to celebrate God for that, we go, well, that can never be me. Really? How big is your God? Are you saying he can't do that? In you? Because I know he can. Logan experienced uh, a young man that had been part of his youth group years before that. They hadn't seen each other for a long time. In fact, when the kid came to talk to Logan, uh, they didn't even know that they knew each other. This kid just came up to him and was like, I'm supposed to tell you something. And like, oh, I don't know you. Yeah, I know you. Like it was this instant recognition. But this word of knowledge, this uh prophecy as a word, this this message from God, wasn't because of how cool this kid was. I'm sure he was cool. But it it's how cool his God is. And Logan had to hear something, and the kid didn't even understand what like I have no idea how this helps. Here you go. So it was something that Logan needed to hear for him to be here today. And we could celebrate our God for using him in that moment, for, for equipping him. Of course, this brings up a military story. You know, all my, all my stories do, right? Back in Nam, right? Um, So when I was in the Air Force, we trained people to respond to—we trained our airmen, our NCOs, our officers to respond to conventional and chemical attacks. And so let's say this is the facility that we were operating in, and there's there's an attack of some sort. We're going to hunker down. We're going to be safe until the attack is over. And then once the attack is over, on an air base, they they let you know. And then we send out sweep teams, and the sweep team would go around— the parking lot around the building and whatever area we have to cover on our part of the air base, we're going to send out teams. It takes two, three, four teams to cover that area for the comm squadron. That's what's going to happen. So we trained our folks to do this and they're looking for, uh, unexploded ordinances. Cause you don't want someone walking across a bomblet, blowing themselves up. They're looking for damaged equipment and they're looking for airmen. that are hurt. Okay. And these teams, as they go out, they, have, they come upon Airman Jones, and they see him on the ground. They need to communicate, hey, we got Airman Jones here. He's down. It looks like he's got a broken leg. We're going to start uh, preparing him for transport. And so the team needs to address the wound and, and care for the airmen and make sure they're not going into shock. And, and we're trained on how to do all this stuff. Well, in my years of going around the country and evaluating uh, the ability of units to go to war, the one thing, the one area that they seemed to lack in, if they're going to lack in anything, was in timely transporting that airman to a higher level of care. And you've seen the pictures, right? The, the airman has someone else over their shoulder, the, the guy in camo running his buddy, to safety like, that's the kind of environment we're trying to train our, our folks to. Because taking care of our airmen is the most important thing that we could do. Right? And so when it came time for our inspection as a squadron and for us to put on display for the inspection team that we knew how to do our job and do it well and take care of our people and, and all those kinds of things, I wanted to change the way we did things because too often what happened is the airman or the junior NCO would would get to the scene and they would address the situation. They'd get the person ready for transport and then they'd call back to leadership and leadership has all these things on the board and they're trying to figure out what to do with all these different problems that are popping up and, and schedule things and, and prioritize the problems and all this kind of stuff because it's war, it's chaos. And, too often they'd forget about the airman laying on the litter, ready to be transported, sometimes just feet away from from the people that could actually provide the next level of care to that airman. And so we we empowered the airmen at the lowest level who are out there on the battlefield to make the decisions and communicate the decision to higher headquarters. In the church world, it'd be like, you guys seeing a problem in your neighborhoods and you calling up instead of going, Hey, you should come solve this. Instead, you're going, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Do I need more help? Are there other resources that we could apply to this or should I just go? That's what we did with our airmen. And it made it so that we just had way more capacity to get work done when it came to getting back to fighting the fight and getting our people to the care that they needed. I think Jesus was preparing his disciples for the same thing in Luke 9. It says this, Now the day was ending and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. But he said, You give them something to eat. Jesus says, You feed the 5,000. You take care of your neighbor. You see the problem in your neighborhood. You see your friend's marriage falling apart. You see the person that's brokenhearted. You see the family that's without a job and without food. You feed them. The problems are all around us. And wherever you and I go, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, because that's what he will do according to his design, according to his will, we will have the opportunity to be part of a miracle. The disciples, they didn't. They had a choice. They could have said, no, just 5,000 people, five loaves, two fishes. No. No. No, I'm going to sit this one out, Jesus. You go for it. Can you imagine going around, and if you're one of the disciples, sir, can you please sit down? We're going to feed you guys. What do you guys have? We have five loaves. Oh, and we have two fishes. Ma'am, will you please sit down? Sir, back there, please sit down. We're going to feed you guys. Man, get ready for the feast. Like what kind of chutzpah do you have to have to sit down 5,000 people with five loaves, two fishes, oh yeah, and Jesus. And I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit came on the disciples that day to give them the faith to actually do that because I don't think I've got that much faith. Do you? Apart from the spirit, I don't think I've got that in me. In the summer of 2014, I was coming towards the end of my internship at Corland Campus, real life, and uh, a couple started attending church, Keith and Regina. They have been kind of roaming the the country, living in a tent moving from town to town. And they were actually heading back towards uh, Western Washington when they stopped in Spokane and realized that Moody Bible Institute was there. Keith had this desire to to grow in his relationship with God. And so he says, God, if you want me to stay here, then provide a job. Well, God did, but over in Coeur d'Alene, not in Spokane, which is not that far. So they hunkered down that summer in Coeur d'Alene. They had a tent They were paying $700 a month at one of the local RV parks, and they were just trying to save up some money, save up enough money to get themselves an apartment and really start to build some roots in this community. And so we started to get to know them at church, get to know their story, and for Christy and I, we had this motorhome that we were trying to sell all summer long, and that thing just would not sell for nothing. And we're like, I don't know. I think God's doing something here. I'm not sure if I totally understand this. Well, fall comes along, and it's getting colder. And uh, and we're looking at Keith and Regina and going, man, maybe we should let them use it. And so instead of having them sleep in a tent... Uh, we moved him in Labor Day weekend into our motor home right outside our house. And at the same time, Christy was investing in this gal named Ellen and she had all summer long and spent some time with Ellen and they had built a relationship. And Ellen was really frustrated because she felt like she was supposed to move into a, a a little better space for her and her grandchild that she had just a single apartment, single bedroom apartment and really wasn't enough space when her granddaughter was over, which was a regular thing, becoming more and more regular. And so she's frustrated, like, why is this so hard? And she was, she was tied into this year-long lease that she just couldn't get out from under. And, and so when Christy told Ellen about this couple that we had just moved into her motorhome, home, she had an idea. It's like, well, what if I give them my deposit and pay a couple months' rent to help them get going? Because they, they were making money. They were just paying too much for the, the plot of land that they were using for their tent at the mobile home park. She was, maybe, I wonder if that would help them out. And then she started getting really excited because she's one of those people that just loves to give. And... And so she met with Keith and Regina, found out that, yep, this is going to be a good fit. And so they started down the process, and they um, did an application with the rental agency and all that. And, and that was all starting to go. Well, care group was just starting back up again for the fall season, and they wanted to have a care group in Post Falls uh, for the Coeur campus. And since we lived in Pulse Falls and we had uh, a big open area for, for meeting, they used our home to start this group. And because we weren't staying, Christy and I were, we were moving. We'd be gone by Thanksgiving. They, um, they had a couple other couples lead the group. So we had our first care group meeting, and Keith and Regina, because they were living right outside our, our front door, uh, they joined us, and so they start building community with that group, which was a game changer for them. Next day, Thursday, Regina drops Keith off at work. She goes to Ellen's. They're preparing, helping Ellen prepare for the move. And then she leaves Ellen's house and We don't know what happened. She's supposed to pick up Keith at 4.30. At 7, he gets a ride back to our house, and we start looking all over Creation and calling every number we think of to find Regina. Regina had been in in an accident. She blew through a stop sign, and uh, she got T-boned by a dump truck full of gravel. I'm not sure why they... had to share that piece of information with him when they told him. But apparently it mattered. Dump truck full of gravel. And fortunately for Regina, the guy hit the – swerved, rolled the dump truck, hit the back quarter panel of the car that she was borrowing. And they took her straight to the hospital and straight to surgery. They had to remove her spleen. And I I don't remember – what all the, all that took place. But she was in the hospital for better than 10 days and in ICU for nearly a week. So here's this couple that just moved into her motor home for all intents and purposes, homeless. And the care group just, brand new care group, <laughs> days old, day old, Day care group, and we start taking care of Keith and Regina. And there's application is still out on the apartment, so we're still not sure if that's going to happen or not. But we just know that we got to do something because Regina is not going to go from ICU into an RV post surgery. Not going to be functional for her. So God opens the door for Keith and Regina to get into the apartment. They get accepted, and we get all the parts and pieces for the house. A week later, we sent another couple or one of the two leaders of the couple couple leaders to the hospital to lead care group there while we had care group at our home. So we had care group in two locations that week. And there was a brand-new couple to our care group, and they were a little confused on, on what all this Keith and Regina conversation was. They weren't connecting the dots yet. And so when I talked to them a few days later, like, oh, that's what's going on. He hangs up for me, has a two-minute conversation with his wife, calls me back and says, and we have a queen-size bed for them. Over and over and over again in this situation, God shows up and steps in in just the right moment through his people. And there was miracle after miracle after miracle. And not a once did we celebrate the people. We celebrated our God. Regina went from the hospital into a home Covers full of food, a bed that she now owned, a community that she didn't. Really- All right. How far back do I have to go? 15, 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. My part <laughs> minister where I implanted. I need a minister where I'm planted. I believe that God has strategically placed you right in your neighborhood, right into your, your workplace, right in your classroom, that the people around you and the problems that you see, God cares about. And he cares about them through you. God's part. He empowers us for service through his Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's a short season. It's a short moment. Sometimes it's a long season, a long moment. It may feel uncomfortable because you're not the powerful one. You're the one who's dependent upon him. He makes the miraculous happen. And their part, their part is do what... What it is within their power to do, for Keith and Regina, we didn't try to do the parts that they were already doing. No one was trying to fix them. No one was rescuing them. We were just on this journey with them, and if we had a piece of the puzzle they didn't have, that's the piece we gave to them. We didn't take over the puzzle for them. The puzzle was still theirs to solve. But we were there in their midst but their part is to do what is within their power to do. So some next steps. Maybe you need to explore your design, and that's probably best done in community. And it's probably a longer conversation than what we're going to have on footnotes and what we're going to have in care group this week. But start the conversation. I'm trying to figure this part out about me. I'm trying to figure out this element of me. I'm trying to figure out why, why I focus on this. I'm trying to figure out why this is such a big part of my heart. And it scares the living daylights out of me. But I, I'm trying to figure this out. Have that conversation in community. You're not the only one that's thinking about those things. I guarantee you. Next step, go further with God today. Today. Go further with God today. The disciples had this opportunity to go, no, not going to do that. I'm not sitting 5,000 people down with your five loaves and two fishes. (laughs) Continue to go and trust that God will meet you there. The God of the universe, he spoke the universe into existence. He is still that powerful today. Continue to go with him. And I I find it interesting that even though we didn't read it, I know that Jesus got away with the father. He sent the disciples in a boat and he got away to spend his own time with him. Now, if Jesus was always in perfect union with the father, why would he need to do that? Or maybe that was the mechanism for being perfectly aligned with what the Father was doing. Maybe that getting away is the mechanism, and sometimes you and I, we need that time to be able to continue to go further with God today. Another next step, open your eyes to the opportunities to minister where you are planted. Sometimes I see needs come across Facebook, and I'm like, No one knows that I saw that song. I keep on pressing on. But does, is that true? Is it that no one knows? Man, it seems too big for me. Well, good. Then maybe God needs to show up. It's a a struggle that I have, even... 40 some odd years of following Christ. I'm convinced that every miracle Jesus did was in response to what he saw God the Father doing. Because he had his eyes open. He was willing to see the problems, even though the problems were big. And so my part is to minister where I'm planted. When we talk about ministry for From Mission Ridge, we're not just talking about what happens here on Sunday mornings and making sure that the soundboard's on, making sure that my batteries work, making sure that the video feed is where it's supposed to go, singing from up here. It's not just that. That's part of it. But ministry happens all week long wherever you are at because you bring the Holy Spirit with you. And God longs to do something in the lives of your neighbors, in your house, in your workplace.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.